Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with us here today as we talk about you turning the passion that is you into a business. How do you take that innate you that is inside of you that exists every minute of every day and use that and turn that into a business that allows you to show up as the best version of yourself, that allows you to powerfully help others, that really truly helps you maximize while it's called today. I'm so glad to have you here with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate every minute that we get to be here together on the radio talking about you, your life, your business, whether you be the CEO of a Fortune 50 company or you're just simply managing the business of your life. In all those respects, we want to help you live as a thriving entrepreneur. And today we're talking about turning the passion that is you into a business. How do we know our passion? How do we know the things that we're truly passionate about? Some of us have struggled with that over the years and we tend to, unfortunately, discount the things that we do so amazingly powerful because, well, let's face it, they're too easy. It comes so easy to us that we just assume that it must be easy for everybody else. And yet, often, the very thing that we do with such grace, such ease, that just comes to us as though it was breathing, we discount that because we assume everybody knows how to do that. But often in that is that spark of passion of who you really are. Why is that important to you? Why do you do it? What do you do with it? And how do you maximize while it's called today by just simply being the best, most passionate version of who you are? And then after you've discovered that passion, if you've taken the time to really look in deep and be like, oh, hey, yeah, I really do love doing this thing. And I have a real passion for it. You know, that thing that when you say it, the kids roll their eyes because you talk about it so much. That thing that even if sometimes you struggle with speaking uh, in broken sentences, when you get on a roll with that, you're the most articulate person in the room because you believe in it so much. That's passion. That's passion coming forward. I talk to people about using speak to write to write their books and they're like, well, I'm not that great of a speaker. And yet it's amazing when you get a person into that place where they're talking about the thing that really lights them up, that they're passionate about, they can go on and on and on and talk about it. And they don't worry about speech impediments or whether or not that's the right word. It's just the passion coming, shining through. Once you've identified that, then it's a matter of how can that serve the world? You see, everything that's in us is only as good as we use it to be able to advance the world into a better place. That means giving it away. That means that, yes, it has value. And I'm not necessarily using that from the standpoint of, uh, you know, just giving it for free, but more that it needs to be shared. It needs to flow out from you back out into the world to make this world a better place, to improve the life of the person who is searching right now for the very answer to that very thing. And they need what you have to share. So let's talk about it today. Let's talk about turning our passion into a business. Let's look at three incredibly remarkable entrepreneurs who have taken what they've been doing in life and turned it into a passion-inspired, powerful business that makes a difference in so many people's lives and it helps them show up as a thriving 
entrepreneur. With that said, let's jump in to our first guest. Join me in welcoming Doug Sandler. Hey, Doug, how you doing today? I am doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me on your uh, on your radio show. I don't get to see a radio show. I said that used to say that in college all the time, but I, I love the idea of being back on the radio. Yeah, it was so exciting for me when it actually went into syndication. Was actually on dial in radios. I was like, "What even <laughs> is dial in radio?" You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But if you know, and you're gonna, I'm gonna follow you wherever you're taking me. Oh, perfect. So first off, just tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Yeah, man, appreciate it. Well, I spent 30 years. Uh, you know, if ever the party question comes up, um, what, what what would be something that you'd want everybody to know that would not know that necessarily by looking at you or seeing you or hearing you? Uh, I spent 30 years as a bar mitzvah MC, the guy in front of the crowd doing all the line dances and playing the games with the kids and getting the adults up and going. And after about uh, 30 years of that, uh, I finally retired that um, that uh, my turntables and went into the podcasting world, which is not really a far leap from from uh, from hosting a uh, a party. And have been doing this for the last eight years as a producer, as a podcaster, as a content creator. And as a strategist, teaching other people how to do the same thing. And, and that's kind of, in a nutshell, my entire career over the last 40 plus years. That's awesome. It's been so long since I've been behind a set of turntables. We're mm -hmm. using turntables or cassette decks or Yeah, how? man. When I, when I started in 1984, uh, my first tune that I played was, uh, was Stevie Wonder, Sir Duke. I can remember it like it was yesterday, filling in for a friend of mine at a place called The Straw Boss, which is a, a bar in College Park, Maryland, 1984. And uh, again, just had loved doing that my entire career, turned that part-time passion into a career about 15 years after that and had been doing has had had been doing that full time for many many decades as well. That is so awesome. I don't even own a turntable anymore. I need to go yeah. buy one now just because we're talking about it. <laughs> I got all these I got all these records. I, you know, I don't have any cassettes anymore. I do have a lot of CDs and I have a lot of records, uh but uh, I don't have a turntable. I'm with you. I don't have one, but but I kept all the vinyl. Yeah, over the couple of divorces and some moves and stuff, I don't think I have any vinyl left. I, I, I saw a case of cassettes the other day, but mm. um, I'm like, you know, what would you even play a cassette on? I don't think I have anything to play it on. Rem remember when we were kids, we used to take the, uh, or when we were doing whatever we were doing with the cassettes, we would take a pencil after we queued it up and turned it back just like a quarter of a turn to get it right at the beginning of the song. <laughs> I don't know if you did that, I but we did that. absolutely do, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of nuances to DJing, especially when you start talking cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah, man, totally, totally. Uh, well, that's cool. So um, now you have a podcast and more importantly, or as importantly, a, a whole format for helping people also have really professionally done podcasts. So um, let's just be really, really basic to start with. Yeah. If somebody doesn't know what a podcast is, can you explain that to us? Yeah, a podcast is a way to um, create a message to put out to an audience that specifically wants to hear you and your message. You know, the idea of radio broadcasting is to go out and just hit the major market, just go out there and hit everybody. Podcasting is a little different. We actually want to narrowcast instead of broadcast. We want to narrowcast a message to a specific audience that you think would be in tune to your message. And in essence, a podcast is a recording most of the time audio, but they do have video podcasts too, but audio podcast uh, that will be um, put on a platform like Apple Podcasts or Spotify so people can hear your message. It's pretty straightforward and pretty easy. Love that. So what kind of things do you do for people? So um, the biggest challenges that we hear from people are things like, I don't know the technology, or I don't know how to interview people, or what would I talk about, or how do I connect my business to my podcast? So we, in a nutshell, handle all of that stuff from soup to nuts. So whether uh, technology is your foe and you want to understand the technology uh, or you never want to understand it, but you just want somebody to do it for you, uh, we can pick up the ball and, and start running for you all the way to the strategy that's involved in actually turning your podcast into a monetization machine. You know, most people 
think that money comes from advertising and sponsorship. And while it will for big guys like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, the the big names in podcasting, for normal people like me and you, uh, I'll put you in the normal category like me, as, as normal or abnormally normal as we can be, the money really does not come from a huge audience. Where the money comes from is converting even small audience, uh, small audiences into customers or even easier, um, turn the people that you are putting in that guest seat into referral sources, relationships, customers themselves, affiliate partners, joint venture partners. There's a bunch of different ways that you can actually monetize a podcast. And, and I've just named a few right there. Mm, I love that. So you talked originally about equipment and you probably did like I did, uh, you know, coming from an engineer, you know, audio engineer background, you probably went out and bought all kinds of cool equipment mm. um, just because we can't help ourselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that in the beginning, uh, even the technically inclined folks have a tendency to want to overcomplicate podcast technology. And really all it comes down to is nowadays, it literally is in my, in my, in front of my face right now is a USB plug and play microphone, you know, for 250 bucks, I bought this microphone and you can get one for much, much less than that. You can get a, a good USB mic for 25 bucks nowadays, if you're not sure if podcasting is your thing, but you want to kind of kick the tires of the podcasting space. Um, but a microphone that's plug and play in an application like Zoom to record, uh, you don't need to overcomplicate it by buying too many apps and too much technology to get in your way. Love that. So um, talk to me about the kind of things that people should know in order to have a powerful and effective podcast. Well, I think if I go back to that thing I said initially, which is uh, you're not looking to broadcast, you're looking to narrowcast. I'd much rather have 20 people in my audience that are taking action than 20,000 people that are doing absolutely nothing. Uh, so the idea behind narrowcasting, really fine tuning uh, what your message is all about. And, and that really brings up a really valid point here. Um, I call, uh, you know, if you, if you put this into an acronym, I think people have an easier time remembering things if you make it a simple science for them. I call it getting to know your mom, your M-O-M, your market, your offer, and your message. And if you come to the podcasting space already understanding who your market is or who you serve, uh, what offer or what things do you sell them, and what your message is or what your brand is, how you're comfortable how, arriving with, you know, are you, are you, what kind of vibe do you want to create for your, for your listening audience? So if you come to the table already understanding your mom, your market offer and message, you'll have a lot easier time at beginning podcasting and knowing the direction that you want to go. It's the folks that come to podcasting thinking, I'm not really sure what I want to talk about, or I don't have a business that's connected to my podcast, or I don't really have anything to sell them, or I don't really understand how I'm going to message this thing properly to get anybody to take any action. If you come to the table like that, you're going to have a lot harder time defining success when it comes to podcasting. So getting to know your mom early and often is probably the best way to approach podcasting right out of the gate. So it's always good to know your mom. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, all right. So what is the biggest thing that people do that just drives you crazy? What do you wish they knew that they just really don't know? Well, I think people oftentimes will get their head trash in the way and they focus on the wrong things when it comes to success in podcasting. And when I say the wrong things, I go back to that Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss comment to begin with. I think if people tend to focus on the ego metric of how many people are listening to my show, that they are really misunderstanding what this podcast environment can do for them. Think about it this way, Steve. If I had 50 people show up every week, once a week, every week, show up at your house, knocking on your door and say, hey, Steve, can I come in? Because I heard you had a message that I want to hear this week. 50 people. Would that excite you to have 50 people in your house and you can share your message with them? Yes and no, but just because of the 50 people in my small house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. So if I had a conference room that held 50 people and I could put 50 people in there every week, I would be really happy that I'm talking to 50 people. Now, why is it that when somebody has 50 people listening to their podcast, they're thinking, man, I am not successful at this. I don't know. You know, we are not going to have millions of people listening to our show probably ever. I mean, maybe collectively over the years, you might have millions of people listen to your show, but every week queuing up, you may have on average, the average podcast that's active will get about 200 downloads. 
And you know, the nice thing about that is they're actually putting 200 people in front of their message every week. That's not an easy task. These are people that are actually raising their hand and saying, I want to hear more from Steve. I want to hear more from Doug. I want to hear more from Jane and Sally. And when you're able to do that consistently, you are bound to be successful with podcasting. If, go back to that thing I said earlier, if you understand what offer to make to them, who your market is and what your messaging is. Once you have those three things together and you're comfortable with getting that head trash, that ego metric of how many downloads you have out of your head, then you actually will become successful. It's just given amount of, you know, the right amount of time now before that success happens for you. Mm, I love that way of looking at it. So um, most people are afraid that it's just one more thing. Um, you know, we've heard about all the mm. stuff we're supposed to do on social and how many posts and all of that kind of stuff. And here's just now one more thing we got to do. Um, just how simple can it be for a person to run their podcast and have it be effective for them? So the way that I look at it, and again, this is a very, very common problem. I mean, you're you're striking on all of the common issues that are kind of the roadblocks in, in people's way. You know, what, what I tell people from the very beginning is that it's very important for you to um, create your podcast like it is the hub of your business rather than a spoke on the wheel of your podcast. If you use it as a spoke on the wheel of your podcast, it becomes one more thing that you have to do every week or once a month or once every other month or however often you create your content. If, however, it becomes a relationship building tool, now instead of it being a spoke on the wheel, it now becomes the hub of your business. And you could say, all right, Steve, I love that we did this because this is how we built our started our relationship. I'm like, hey, I like what Steve has to offer. I guess I could have a side meeting with him and and have a face to face and understand a little bit more about your business. But why not have you on my podcast and and interview you and ask questions of curiosity? Then, then it becomes a now it's a a, a relationship builder for me. And if you become a referral source of business, now I've accomplished two things. I've gotten information from you and I've, I've have um, a potential opportunity to do more business with you. It's now a business development tool. Now, if I use this as we're doing later on today, after this recording stops, you're actually marketing your services to the people that are in my, on my client list, because I became so captivated with what you do. I'm thinking, why wouldn't my, my clients currently clients, why wouldn't they love what you have? Now I'm becoming an affiliate for the products and services you sell. Do you see how instead of it being uh, a, a side thing that I do that's just going to become a time suck, I'm now using it as a business development tool, an affiliate tool, a monetization tool, a relationship builder, and, and a marketing tool because I can send out that recording that we're going to create later today to potential prospects down the road that show some interest in wanting to actually create a book or using their podcast as a tool to become a best-selling author. All of those things being said, the hub of your wheel will help this pull away the resources that you're spending and, you know, stop spending time prospecting. Use your podcast as your prospect tool. Do you follow what I mean when I say that? I absolutely do. And that's a brilliant way of putting it because so many people are looking for um, you know, something magical rather than something that actually is just practical and works. Correct. Well, that's awesome. Well, Doug, for people who would like to explore further how they can have podcasts of their own and make it effective for them, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, man, I appreciate that. If uh, if anybody in your audience, in your community has interest in at least taking a, a closer look at podcasting, but they're not ready to commit to you know the free meeting or any of that stuff, totally fine. Check out our, um, our document. It's five ways to make money podcasting. In addition to the document, we've created some bonus videos. It's five videos that are going to be sent to you over a five-day period of time. They're just two or three-minute videos each. And it will explain where the money is actually made in podcasting in addition to getting the, the PDF, Five Ways to Make Money Podcasting. So it's at turnkeypodcast.com forward slash money, turnkeypodcast.com forward slash money. I love that. Well, Doug, that is so awesome. I love what you do in the world. Um, I'm excited about our meeting later today and all the cool things that are coming forward with, with our joint venture together. Um, and people really do need to have somebody like yourself. I will strongly encourage to everybody, don't just try to jump in and have a podcast of your own. Uh, get somebody that really knows what they're doing to help you out with it. And Doug would definitely be the guy I would recommend. Doug, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. 
Thanks, Steve. Thanks for inviting me. We talked about turning the passionate you out into the world and how you can articulate that. And what a better way to be able to share what you know and who you are with the world than with podcasting. I hope that you will check out what Doug's doing in this world because he has a system that really does help you really truly get out there and share who you are with the world. And then you can share your message with the world and you can live as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about turning the passion that is you into a business. What are the things that we need to know internally? How can we work with our mind? That's what we're going to talk about next so that we have the right mindset that we can powerfully turn our passion into a business and make the difference in this world that only we can make. With that said, here's our next guest. Join me in welcoming VK Lakanini. How are you doing today, VK? I'm doing wonderful, Steve. How are you? I am good, thanks. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, uh, we all try to show up authentically. I guess that's kind of overrated word. But um, just just showing who you are and, and realizing that uh, we're not completely perfect in any way and uh, be grateful for what we have and wake up and get going and look at what needs to be done in the world. So with all of the things that you do in life, what is, uh, you know, your just very favorite thing to do? Is it being on the TED stage or um, working with the people or, or what are the things you do just fills you up the most? Um, that's a very good question. Um, you know, yeah, like you can feel the vibe when you're on these world stages, but I think what really grounds me is the gratitude and the difference uh that it makes like when I share my knowledge and expertise with other people and that's kind of changing their world and uh, looking the life in different ways. Um, and, and I feel immensely grateful for that knowledge um, that that's acquired through book reading, whatever that I've been doing over the years uh, and, and just listening to their stories of transformation uh, I, I hear some amazing stories all the time and that's kind of like personal satisfaction uh, and it it just never ends and I don't think uh, anybody or anything can replace that like somebody asked me a very similar question like uh, how do you feel when you've you know won these awards and I'm like you know the awards are great but the satisfaction always comes from the community and the people around you. So when it comes specifically to dealing with our mindset, something that all of us struggle with at one point or another, what are some keys to um, having the mindset that we want to have versus just letting whatever comes through our crazy mind be what's running through there? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to believe like how mind can be a, a thing 
dangerous problem solver and also a learner and how do you keep feeding to that like for me I just go to my ground rules right like love kindness compassion empathy forgiveness and gratitude and every emotion attached through these um, other emotions kind of shows up at work or in personal life but if you can peel the layers off and make that love you know it's kind of unconditional love for everybody and everything in life around you um that's where i want to be personally exist through mind and heart in just balancing that connection uh and that's what i recommend for everybody like you know we're all emotional beings but look at these fundamental emotions and where the blockages are and how do you uh, you know realize there's a trauma around that and how do you cleanse yourself so Uh, you're going back to your natural state. And it's impossible to exist in that natural state all the time because there's so many things that happen around us. And then your mind always try to uh, come up with solutions based on what you learn. But how do you turn that off and still uh, be able to make those choices using that subconscious mind and the heart connection? And and it's hard to come by and it takes practice, but once you're at that level, everything becomes so easier and you just feel the vibe around everything that's you're doing. I love that. I love asking people for you specifically, um, you know, when you're feeling your mood going down, what kind of things help bring you up? You know, music, dancing, uh, helping others. What What is the thing that really kind of helps you come back to your center and, and get back to a place of joy? Um, you know, music definitely helps, but I specifically pick um, some videos that, that has like those frequencies, like the 369 or 582. Uh, it depends on the situation, depends on the emotion. Uh, and, you know, if it is work-related, I just go back to listen to one of those like Steve Jobs inspirational videos and if it is something spiritual and personal, uh, I resort to like Alan Wertz or Oprah or Deepak Chopra, these type of people. Uh, but just recognizing the emotion is hard for a lot of people because, you know, you have an emotion and you feel angry or upset or you're going through grief, whatever that is, just realizing is the hard part and agreeing to it and surrendering to that emotion. So you're actually processing through. And, and I have come across a lot of people, they know they're feeling that emotion but they kind of uh, okay you know i can drink up to it or i just resort to drugs uh so i don't have to think about it so it's kind of like you're suppressing it rather than processing it and i always encourage people to you know either use music or these inspirational speeches or even uh, better work with the counselor to process those emotions uh, by feeling them mm, i love that um, so for the people who have found themselves continuously choosing to be less than, what are some words of encouragement that you can give them to choose a better life, um, a happier, a more fulfilled life? Um, like honestly, my opinion is we are all fulfilled, uh, in one way or other. Uh, and I think as humans, we tend to see good and bad, love and hate, uh, but if you look at from uh, a universal perspective or from where I'm from, from uh, Indian Hinduism, you know, God love doesn't love somebody and doesn't hate somebody. You know, it's just a kind of uh, looked at as equals and it doesn't matter what you're going through. But fundamentally, we are here experiencing our lives in certain ways. And we're taking that collective experiences and giving back to the universe and there is a collective consciousness that we all share so mm -hmm. there is no perfect way of living but to be accommodated in the society we have to follow certain rules and not everybody's good at following rules but how do you mitigate that so when you're following a particular rule and you're not happy to do that but how do you control that emotion and still go with it right and it's different for all of us. And I um, look at life as like an infinity and there is um, good on one side, evil and 
the other side, like, you know, light and darkness. But how do you meet in the middle when you're experiencing these emotions? And being on the side, like either side of it, like is extreme for everybody because we do coexist like in and yang. But kind of think uh, from a pure heart when you're making these decisions, right? And I think this is where the fundamentals has to be for everybody. Make those choices from your heart. You might lose some money, you might lose a client, you might lose some people, you might lose some relationships, but what matters is how unconditionally you love yourself and you love the other people. So you're either letting it go or you're kind of saving yourself. And it's very unique for everybody depending on their life, life situations. And I'm like, you know, no expert or, you know, knowing everything, but this fundamental seems to help a lot of people. Like when there is self-love, self-care, when there are boundaries and when they know exactly where they want to be and having that clarity, that changes everything around them. You only allow the people that you want to be in your circle and you kind of quarantine people that you can hang out, but by no means it's through hatred or you don't like them. It's just because you still love them, but you're putting in a different quadrant of your life because certain things that they react to you is, you know, kind of changing your state of what you, where you want to be. So you want to protect, um, you know, your, your uh, energies all the time. So what kind of people do you like to work with and how could they work with you? Uh, mostly it's all across the spectrum, but it's the midlife crisis we all go through as entrepreneurs or, you know, either through divorce or loss of a family member. Uh, it's, it's different or loss of business assets. And I uh, look at it the individual situation, if it is a business, like, okay, can you salvage something or where are you going from here? And I use such a principle that really helps them as an entrepreneur, what they need to have to be successful again and to see that same kind of goals that they have already smashed through, but now they're going through something else that putting them down. And mostly it all comes down to uh, our personal lives uh, when we are not vibing at that level. Um, you know, if I'm going through divorce, I can bring that to work. And, you know, that shows up in everything that I do. So how do I purify myself in one way or other as a person so that I show up identically to other people uh, and 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 making a difference at the end of the day? Um, so uh, it's the people who are usually going through midlife crisis that needed help uh, and, you know, they're all spectrum, but mostly women tend to gravitate to my Instagram posts and just as like the approach. I do see the intentions of where they needed help and either I suggest uh, what they can do or recommend some books and then even suggest that they need to go and see, uh, you know, the certified professionals. I love that. And give us your uh, URL again, please. Uh, it is lakinini.com, L-A-K-K-I-N-E-N-I.com. And just before we go, give us some words of encouragement. Uh, let us know that we can do it. We all capable of doing things the way we want. And I think the universe uh, empowers everybody in the same way, even though there is some discrimination happens in this world. But certainly... If you put your mind to it and heart to it, we can always accomplish what we want in our, in, in our lives. And keep in mind that uh, we always work collectively along with the people around us, the community, our families. So as soon as you start thinking global and at a higher level, you can always make things happen. I love that. Well, VK, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you, Steve. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Our 
thoughts become things. Our thoughts control the destiny of where we're going in life. And we need to have that powerful thought process so that we can put our passion out into the world and also have a business that makes a difference in the world and live as a thriving entrepreneur. With that said, let's take our next commercial break and we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. All right. What have you gotten so far in turning the passion that is you into a business? What have you learned so far, Dorothy? Do you now begin to see that powerful passion inside of you and how it can make a difference in the lives of others as well as in your own life? And how can you share that message with the world? What are the kind of things that you can do? And how do you take that passion and turn it into a business? I'm so excited to have this last guest here with you because she's doing exactly that thing, taking the passionate part of who she is and not only turning it into a business of her own, but teaching others how to turn that same passion into a business for themselves. So with that said, let's jump into our last guest for today. Join me in welcoming Miriam Shulman. Hey, Miriam, how are you doing today? I'm good, Steve. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, I'm an artist, business coach, and that is based on selling my own art for over 20 years. And I also just wrote a book so I can add author to that list of hyphenated things. I love that. And I was even noticing your book was published by HarperCollins. So good for you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually looking as I was preparing for the interview and I saw the uh, painting that my dad did. And I'm really interested to hear from you. How do you turn all this beautiful artwork into not being a starving artist? Well, that's, that's what every, that's the million dollar question everybody wants to know. And a lot of it starts with the belief that talent matters when actually what matters a lot more than talent is marketing and mindset. And I would even say mindset first, because pe if people don't have the right mindset, they don't do the marketing that they need to do. And a lot of people question that with me, but the truth is we all know, Steve, maybe your father was one of them, very talented artists and very talented people in the world, whether whatever, whatever their art may be, whether it's their business, whether they are a coach or a, a singer or a musician, whatever it is that they're doing in the world, we all see very talented and smart people not succeed as well as people who maybe are not as talented or not as smart succeeding more because they have a better mindset and or better marketing. So marketing mindset trumps talent every time. Mm, that makes so much sense. And yeah, for my dad, it was more of his hobby and a way to relax. He, mm. he loved being a minister and what he did, but um, he, you know, I, like I said, I was just looking at this painting again and, and just in awe of, of what he had done throughout his life. So 
That's cool. So mindset, let's start there then. What is the difference between the typical artist mindset and being an artpreneur? Okay, that's a great question. So a lot of it starts with the first place, as I say, choose to believe. So that is chapter one is choose to believe. You choose to believe that A, you are an artist. That is your identity. And you choose to believe that, yes, you can make a thriving living out of this. A lot of people don't take those steps because they don't believe that it's possible. When I was in college, I was told I couldn't make a living as an artist. So that wasn't what I pursued because people told me that and they were older and smarter than me. So I said, okay, I can't make a living as an artist. But that wasn't true. That turned out to be a lie. So it starts with your belief. And I like to talk about the belief triad. This is something you don't hear a lot about. The belief triad, the three parts are belief in yourself. And everyone talks about that. Belief in what you're selling. You've heard that before too. But the third part that a lot of people don't talk about is belief in your buyer or belief in your customer or belief that your audience is out there. And when people are missing that third part of the belief triad, that's when they flounder. So they don't believe that their customer has the money to pay for their art, or they don't believe that people are buying during a pandemic, or they don't believe that people will buy what they have during a recession. And these are all beliefs that are false because there's there's truly people buying at all times, in all places, and all things. It's always amazing to me. That's such a great uh, mindset point because, you know, you will get that person that tells you, no, I can't afford that. And then, you know, next week they post on social media about how excited they are about the trip they're taking to Disneyland. I love that you brought that up because that one of the things that I teach my artists and that you need to understand with that psychology is just because they say they can't afford it doesn't mean that it's true. And it's not necessarily that they're lying to you. They might be, but they could be lying to themselves. And one of the things, Steve, that all that we and the people listening need to do is to stop saying that because it's really a disempowering thing for us to even say ourselves instead of saying the truth, which is I choose not to buy that. I choose not to invest in it. I choose not to make that a priority at this time, rather than saying you can't afford it or it's too expensive because those things may not even be true. Wow, that's that's a huge mindset piece that a lot of us struggle with. I mean, how many times have you found yourself hearing that message and then just believing it? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, Steve, is that sometimes people, like I said, sometimes people are saying it and it's not so much that they're lying to you, they're lying to themselves, but sometimes they are lying to you. Like maybe they just don't want what you have and it's a lot easier for them to say, I can't afford it than, you know, I really don't like this because it's purple, you know, they don't want to hurt your feelings or something like that. But it's, that is a very important part of the mindset piece is not only having mastery of your own mind, but understanding and having compassion for where the customer is coming from and understanding that maybe they think this is too expensive because they've never invested at that level before. So it's easier for them to say or to think, to go to that thought, I can't afford it because that, you know, us as humans, we've evolved to be creatures of habit and not only are our habits ingrained, but our pathways of thinking are, you know, our brain wants to think the same thoughts it always thinks because that takes up the least amount of energy. So it's it's more challenging for somebody to suddenly step into, I choose not to prioritize that rather than, oh, I've never invested that much money in an artwork before, or I never invested that much in a coaching package before, or I never invested that much in a car before. doesn't mean that the car is too expensive if that's what it's worth. Mm, So true. You know, it's really interesting too, because 
on the one hand, we all see, uh, at least on TV, artwork as a perfect example of things that people get millions upon millions of dollars for things that honestly, some of us think looks like scribbles. Um, I won't say any particular artist in name, but I, I know you have those that you think of that way too, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, yet somebody who does something that's just absolutely gorgeous doesn't see it as valuable at all. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so a lot also what happens with um, the buying psychology. So we're talking about what our customers are thinking. And I talk about this in my book, Artpreneur, a lot about the, the, the buyer, the psychology of the buyer. So we talked about, there's the psychology of you, the seller, having the belief triad and understanding that. And there's the psychology of the buyer. And a lot of times what's going through the buyer's mind is not just, I mean, this may be part of it, but it's not just, is this painting that I see before me worth $100,000 or $10,000? I'm going to bring it out of the stratosphere since most people aren't buying million dollars art. Steve, do you agree? Let's keep this like more, what most, what most people might be yes, buying. Sure, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the typical person uh, I don't know. Like I went looking for couches recently. I was shocked how much couches have gone up since the last time I bought a couch, but they started like not even an expensive couch is like $4,000 all the way up to 20, 30, 30,000 custom made much more. So the person who is buying an artwork to hang over their $4,000 couch is a different customer than somebody who is buying artwork to hang over their $60,000 couch. So you know, if somebody's buying a couch or a piece of artwork and it's $5,000, they're not necessarily saying, hey, is this artwork worth $5,000? They may be thinking, am I, Miriam, or am I, Steve, worth investing $5,000 in? I want this thing that cost $5,000, and I'm not sure if I'm worth investing that in. So that's a lot of what happens with our customer's mind. It's not only a function of they're trying to decide if the thing in front of them is worth the price tag that you have given it, but they're thinking, are they themselves, the person they're buying it for, worth that investment? Mm, that makes so much sense. So is there a way that we can um, make sure that we're even just putting ourselves in front of the people who have the right mindset rather than banging our head against the wall, trying to sell things to people who aren't in that right, as you called it, stratosphere? Yeah, well, everything is a question of a venue and product. So there's a great story I heard recently where a mother gave a little girl a stone and she told her to sell it. And she went to, you know, she went out to the market and she tried to sell it and somebody offered her $5 and she went home to her mom, mom, I, um, you know, somebody offered me $5 for the stone. Should I take it? And the mom goes, no, 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 go over to the, to the gem store. And she goes to the gem store and the gem store looks at it and they offer her $5,000. And she goes back to mom, mom, they want, they'll give me $5,000 for the stone. And uh, so the mom goes, oh, no, no, take it over to, you know, the, the diamond house or whatever. And she takes it there. It's like, oh, it's actually a $50,000 uncut diamond. So everything has to do with what is it that you're offering and who are you offering it to? And is it the right match? And it's really wise to not try to bring somebody who isn't there to a place that they're not at or not ready to go to. That's right. Uh, it's not, and, and it's and selling is never about trying to convince somebody to do something that they don't want to do or they don't have money to do because telling isn't selling. It's not about convincing them. It's about giving people space and room to make up their own minds and having the compassion to meet them where they're at. And that doesn't mean lower your price, but do you can understand where their psychology is coming from. So if, if they don't want what you have because it's too much for them, then you may, maybe you need to find a different customer. And it's not about devaluing what you have. 
Absolutely. And if the uh, furniture store that you're looking to try to sell your artwork in is selling $50 couches, you might be in the wrong place. <laughs> That's right. And in, in the for the art market, what I tell my, the artists I coach is you don't want to be selling your art in, a, in an art fair that has bouncy castles. Like that's kind of the big red flag for you. You want to make sure it's a high enough venue that the people going there are art lovers, not people who are just passing time. And I'm sure there's similar situations in, with every industry. Well, and I think that brings it to another great point too. And that's knowing who you are. I remember hearing Stephen King say one time about himself, you know, and Stephen King has hundreds of books, you know, I mean, made tons of money as an author. And yet what he one time referred to himself as is as the Burger King of writers. He said, you know, I'm not trying to write the great American novel. I'm just trying to write a book that people will enjoy reading. So you got to know what you're doing too. Yeah. And I think that brings us to something else, Steve, is that a lot of people, especially in the creative field, is they go into the creative field because they have an appreciation of art, of music, of writing, and they hold themselves up to such a high standard that they never put anything out in the world to see if it resonates. So that perfectionism really can hold them back. Oh, that's so true. Um, you know, the world already has a, you know, whomever you want to put in there, um, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, Beethoven and music, or you're talking about a Monet or, you know, whatever. Um, what we need is the next version, the best version of you. No, I mean, Look at the Colleen Hoover. I, I I never heard of her until recently, but she's all up and down the bestseller list. Like she has several bestsellers on the, in the fiction category. I think she was just a mom who opened a laptop one day because she had to pass the time. Could you imagine if she likes to know my, my writing is not as good as Stephen King? She just put stuff out there. Absolutely. I mean, you know, whether you talk about J.K. Rowling, who, uh, you know, did it out of desperation to try to find a way to make money, um, or you talk about, um, you know, the lady that wrote the Twilight books, who just had a dream one night, and it was captivating to her. And so she put it down on paper. Uh, yeah. yeah, but what, let's talk about those, those people, especially J.K. Rowling. So she is a great example of somebody who had relentless commitment absolute belief in herself, in her art, and in the audience, even when she got rejection after rejection after rejection from different publishers. She kept going because she believed in her writing. She believed in herself, and she believed that there was an audience who wanted what she had. Absolutely. So many people give up too soon. Mm. I would add into that too is need, you know, when you are trying to, and it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary, but when you're trying to fulfill a place in your life, you know, this is my passion. This is what I meant to do. This is my purpose. Or, you know, in JK Rowling's, you know, I need to be able to eat and live, um, you know, that makes a big difference in how willing you are to just give up and go on to the next thing because it wasn't that big of a deal anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So um, somebody, lots of buddies need to, whether it's specifically with art or even just in general in the selling, they need to work with you. What kind of people do you like to work with and how could they get in contact with you? Okay. Well, if you, if there's lots of free ways to work with me, first of all, if you like what you heard today, come listen to my podcast, The Inspiration Plays. We talk to creatives of all type about their marketing and mindset. So there's plenty to learn there. And my new book, Artpreneur is in the bookstores and that is artpreneurbook.com. So I would start with those two places and then you'll learn how else to go further with me. I love that so much. So before we go, leave us with some words of inspiration. Oh, so many. 
I can only pick one. <laughs> okay. A couple, whatever. So, you know, all right. Take the next so two, let, let's <laughs> let's start. With, let's um, end with. Uh, so you said with with the relentless. We talked about the relentless commitment, and we started talking about this with choose to believe. Choose to believe in what your dream is, and the last chapter of Artpreneur Chapter Twelve is keep marching forward. That means you keep taking action. You keep taking inspired action, no matter what, no matter what rejections you get, because you believe in your dreams so much that, you know, you know, it's going to come true. And that's why you keep working at it. Whether it's that baby business that you're building, whether it's that novel that you're writing, whether you are a painter or any other kind of creative or entrepreneur, keep marching forward and believe in your dreams. Love that. And do go to Amazon and get the book Artpreneur by Miriam Schulman. It is the step-by-step guide to making a sustainable living from your creativity. Miriam, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. So much fun. How can you take that passion, that talent that is yours and turn it into a business. I love it because, you know, a lot of us that are creatives, we have a tendency to fall into the trap of believing, well, you know, this is good, but in order to really live and thrive in our artistry, we're going to have to sacrifice things, you know, like food, (laughs) living indoors, crazy stuff like that. But there is a process. There is a purpose, a point, and a way that you can be able to take and turn that passion, that creative part of you into a business. And yeah, often it does mean that you need to bring somebody in that has expertise in helping you be able to find what your passion is, understand the marketability of that, and then use that to be able to actually have a business, to make a difference in the world, to affect people's lives in a really powerfully amazing sort of a way. What a great way to be able to change the world, to be able to get it done, to do the thing that only you can do and maximize while it's called today. Just by simply turning the passion that is you into a business. What a great thing to do. Because you know, and I tell you this every week, so I hope you do know it, you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose and the world needs you. What does that mean? Does that mean that, uh, you know, millions of people are sitting on their hands, not doing anything because of you not sharing what you know? It's possible in some respects. In other cases, it just simply means that there's just one person and that's so much more than enough. Because that person is sitting in front of the computer right now, potentially tears streaming down their face, looking for the answer to that very thing that you do so easily, so gracefully, so powerfully. They need it. And they need you to share it. They need it right here, right now, today. And you know how they get it? By you simply just being you. You share who you are. You get it done in the world. You be the best version of yourself while it's called today. Letting yesterday go because, you know, yesterday was whatever yesterday was. And moving powerfully into today so that you can do those things. You can be the you, that amazingly incredible you that you are. And you can be a thriving entrepreneur. Getting the things done that you're meant to do maximizing today, living thriving and truly free. I'm so excited for you to be able to have that. Thanks for joining me today. I hope that you're happy, safe, warm, and loved. And then until we're together again next time, you have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. (laughs) 
<laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You are-